I'm Sean Delaney, and you're listening to What Got You There. What Got You There is a must-follow for entrepreneurs, creatives, high achievers, and change makers. Each week, I sit down with some of the world's most influential people and focus on the journey behind their success. We uncover the strategy, tactics, and routines that help them get there. Now it's your journey, so it's time to learn what's going to get you there. What got you there with Sean Delaney? Uh, what got you there with Sean Delaney? What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with got you, got you? What got you? And also that self-actualization is not something that we achieve, like climbing a mountain and we get to the top and we say, yay, and we take the picture. I mean, do you know anyone who's reached self-actualization and they're done? I can't think of anyone. And, and, and then how boring would life be then anyway, if uh, after that moment of self-actualization and you're like, I'm done. Scott Barry Kaufman is a humanistic psychologist exploring the depths of human potential. He has taught courses on intelligence, creativity, and well-being at Columbia University, NYU, the University of Pennsylvania, and elsewhere. If that wasn't enough, he has also been named one of the 50 groundbreaking scientists who are changing the way we see the world by Business Insider. On this episode, Scott discusses his latest research around creativity, finding fulfillment in our lives, self-actualization, and his latest book, Transcend. Making change transpire. That's the mission behind the most amazing tasting protein bar brand taking the nutrition industry by storm. That brand... They're MCT Co. and they make the most delicious, keto-friendly, all-natural collagen protein bars. If you're obsessed with the quality of food going into your body like I am, then head out and pick up these amazing bars jammed with 10 grams of collagen protein. They only have two to three net carbs, no added sugar, and loaded with high-quality MCT oil for the healthy fats from coconuts. Whether you're busy running the kids around from activity to activity, a professional athlete, or just someone looking for a great tasting convenience snack, do yourself a favor, head to mctco.com and use code WGYT for 20% off your order. So Scott, I, I, I normally wouldn't start here, but just with all the, the chaos going on right now in the world with the coronavirus, I would love to just get your perspective on how you're handling the chaos right now. Yes, you know, this is a good lesson for life more generally on how to handle chaos in, in life. It's not as if this situation is the first time any of us have experienced chaos in our lives. And, you know, managing uncertainty in, in particular is one of the most important skills that we can learn in life. The, the, the problem right now is there's just so much uncertainty. It's, 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 it is certainly dramatic, you, you have to admit. And we don't know what's the rates, you know, people are trying to predict all the trajectories. And by the time this podcast is even released, we'll, we'll probably even have a, a better idea. So I think the same exact skills that I've used in my life to manage uncertainty in other areas just apply to this situation. There's really no difference. And, and a lot of that really comes down to mindfulness and, uh, and, and trying to stay in the moment as much as possible and, and not fall prey to all the, the cognitive behavioral therapy cognitive distortions that have been studied you know and like catastrophizing i think that that one's a big one right now everyone's catastrophizing in in a lot of ways this event is bringing out people's uh, worst sort of uh, cognitive distortions you know all the things we learn in therapy not to do but it also 
it, 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 this is definitely a mess. Don't get me wrong. This is this is definitely not a not a uh, th- th- there is a wor- reason to be worried. But I think we need to keep that in check with with the reality as much as possible. Yeah, no, I, I certainly don't want to go down the, the rabbit hole of either of us trying to pretend like we can uh, know what's going to happen next. But I love that you hit on managing uncertainty. And, and I'm in agreement there that that's one of the, the very useful skills we can have in our life. So are there any specifics? I know you mentioned a couple that you do just to manage uncertainty. What about other times during your life uh, that might not necessarily be to the scale they're at now? Are there any little things that you've implemented that you found success with? Uh, great question. I'm a big fan of certain t- uh, therapy techniques. Like I'm a big fan of ACT. Te- I don't know if you heard of ACT, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. Yes, I have. I've never practiced it practiced before, it. but I, I am familiar with it. Well, the main principle of it is that experiential avoidance is is detrimental to growth and well-being, and it's much better to to go toward the thing you most fear and I mean, I'm not trying to get the coronavirus, so I wouldn't know if that the the act the act the act approach applies in this situation. Maybe all bets are off for this situation, but 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 you know, in other things in my life, and the thing, a lot of things that I fear that aren't really like going to be really damaging as much as I think they're going to be. You know, I try to have a spirit of exploration as opposed to fear. And I think that's the toggle uh, upon which I've kind of been operating my life is whenever I feel fear to kind of transform it into exploration. And it's a very different spirit. And it really helps you treat things with curiosity as opposed to uh, treating everything as though it's a threat. Do you think as you've gotten older, you've been able to handle that fear and are much more comfortable going towards it than you were when you were younger? I think so. I think, I, I would say definitely so, because when I was a kid, I was really scared of everything. And I think a big part of that as well was having a neurotic Jewish mother <laughs> but uh, <laughs> who, who, who to really, you know, would drive me to the bottom of the, the street to the bus stop. <laughs> Did you catch that? <laughs> Driving to the bottom of the yeah. street to the bus stop, <laughs> you know, to that that level. And so I w- kind of grew up just fearing everything. But yeah, once I got older and, and I learned psychological techniques, I mean, I, I really think I, I picked the right field for me, psychology, because I can really explore the reality of, of the human mind and, and the world and, and the best ways of actually coping with setbacks and and the right mental machinery i mean there's so much of it is a mind game in in life you know in terms of resiliency so much of it is is a mind game and i don't know if we fully realize that we kind of take it kind of take our mind for granted sometimes and just let it go just let it do its thing and then and then we don't realize that we didn't actually have to let the mind do its own thing on its own we were in control we could be in control to a certain degree can you go a little deeper on that about being in control? Well, we're never fully in control. <laughs> we have to we have to accept that our our subconscious is constantly operating and thinking and pulling us in directions that we're not consciously aware of. But to the very small degree that our consciousness can step in and give us a sense of free will, I think that it could be very powerful. Even even that small wiggle room that we have there of of consciousness 
is is uh, allows us to maybe even just give us a, a sense of control, which which in itself sometimes even if we are not objectively in control, at least that sense of control is important. For instance, what's with the toilet paper? Everyone's going out, you know, buying as many rolls I, I i'm 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 gonna be i i went out yesterday to get toilet paper and i couldn't find it anyway and i'm gonna be out in a week I, what am i gonna do <laughs> you know but that's my level of panic right now but um but that's uh you know that's that's the mind that, that that's illusory control because all the food is out as too all the food is out as well but the the supply chain they said there's nothing wrong with the food it's not like this virus is cause there's any reason why logically it would cause a food shortage but the thing these are things people do to give them some sense of control in their lives well i do think that our consciousness can give us a sense of control by being aware of the contents of our mind and our and and really looking at our patterns of behavior over the long run and the more we can be aware of our habits and patterns the more we can be in a position to change them if we want to a, a few words that just popped in, into my head that you brought up here a few minutes ago were curiosity exploration and then i'm thinking about you discussing being in control and i'm wondering how all of those came together for you to go down the rabbit hole and start exploring psychology to begin with oh well i i don't know if you're uh, familiar with my story but uh, when I was younger, I was in special education for a auditory disability. It was hard for me to process things in real time uh, through the auditory modality. And so people thought I was pretty, pretty dumb. Um, I was, it took me a couple extra milliseconds to process what people were saying. And there was a lot of fear there. I mean, there was a lot of, for, for a long period of time, I mean, I was bullied a lot. As as so happens with anyone that that stands out in school, and I repeated third grade, and there was a teacher in ninth grade, a special ed teacher who took me aside, and I was in, by the way I was in special ed till ninth grade. I mean that's a long time to be in special ed, uh, and 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 then hope to want to get to college someday. I mean there was, it was uh, I was in all remedial classes pretty much, and this special ed teacher took me aside and said, you know, why are you still here? And 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 things really flipped in almost in that moment where I was like, wait, why am I here? And no one's ever asked me that question. And I never asked myself that question. And I took myself out of special ed and I just signed up for as many things as possible. And so curious what what would I be capable of, of doing? I was just so curious. And, and, and it really did change from that fear to curiosity. I mean, that's exactly, there was a shift in my life. And I wasn't scared of failing anymore. And I think the thing about curiosity and exploration is that you're not the, – the, the, that fear of, of failure is just not there anymore because everything's grit for the mill for growth. And when that's the case, you can kind of calm the beep down. You know, you kind of just relax a little bit because any one situation is not going to be the uh, the defining thing, you know, like – I remember when I tried to overcome my fear of talking to women, <laughs> and, and, and I remember that I remember that period I went through. We all all men I can relate to that. Don't don't even don't even pretend you can't relate to that if you're listening to this and you're. Uh, but anyway, um, and and well, unless you're homosexual, but you, then you go through that with other men, right? So anyway, um, so for me, you know, I remember when I was trying to overcome that. I I would treat it as like every single 
woman that I would talk to, if they rejected me, that was it. Like game over. Like my life is over. Therefore I'm a loser. Right. But it just like, like with anything in life, I started to like realize that, that all this is feedback on becoming a better person on, you know, t- just taking responsibility for that failure and being like, it's not, wasn't, it wasn't the woman's fault. I'm, I'm going to take responsibility for that. I'm going to see what I can do to improve and just keep working at it. And, and you will notice results if you keep working at it. You, you, let's put it this way. You don't notice results if you just give up, <laughs> right? So. <laughs> oh, no, absolutely. Well, well, I'm curious about those feedback loops because you, you were mentioning trying to talk to women and then failing and using each one of those data points almost as a you've just become better with your process. That's so right. I'm wondering how you actually assess in your day-to-day the feedback you're receiving. How do, well, I, I think you have to quantify it in some way I, I think there's a great thing in in quantifying your life and 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 noticing trends and patterns as much as you can you know and 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 you have to be the one to decide what those quantitative markers are for you what are what are the things that really matter i mean there's a whole approach called the smart goals approach are you are you familiar with the smart goals approach yes yeah, so you you know you you have to have very specific goals, and you have to set real quantifiable metrics. So I mean, I could just tell you what what SMART stands for. I mean, they have to be specific goals, measurable. They have to be achievable. They can't be too out of reach that it's like pointless. Like when I was younger, I had a SMART goal of being in the NBA, but Kobe Bryant came to our school and dominated all of us <laughs> so i don't that i saw what true great greatness in sports was um and that's um uh relevance and being time specific in some way so saying by this i hope to see these results by this date you know can be helpful so having setting smart goals i mean there's it's a whole process you can you can do it you can do it sean <laughs> getting us all motivated it's funny a minute ago you mentioned kobe and greatness and i know you've done a tremendous amount of research into into talent and the many paths to greatness and i would love just what you've pulled away from that i know your book a few years ago really hit on that i would love to know what you think about that now uh, and what is just the most Mm -hmm. i don't want to call it eye-opening information you discovered along that that journey but Mm -hmm. but what do you really enjoy talking about when it comes to greatness it's funny because my own research interests have shifted over the years f- from greatness to self-actualization. The, um, t- these days I'm at the self-actualization part and i not too bothered about the get, the greatness stuff. But, but earlier in my career when I was just fascinated with that, I was interested in understanding intelligence and, and how much does intelligence and talent limit us in achieving greatness. I think that was my my big question that was motivating me was you know just just what are these points in these things where like it becomes a deal breaker. You know, it's like my intelligence level is 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 just not going to allow me to even I should I shouldn't even attempt to like study physics for instance, you know, or or like my talent in basketball is not even at this level. I shouldn't even attempt to do basketball. I was just like curious, what are these limits that we have? Because just because you have high talent doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to convert that to greatness and just because you don't have high talent um, as long as it's not abysmal (laughs) there's other things you can probably do to compensate 
to reach the same goal. There are multiple paths to greatness. And that was a, a big point I wanted to make was it's the total package that matters, not one particular trait. I actually view talent as any package, unique package of characteristics that you have that help you learn faster in a particular domain, help you rapidly excel. And it and it might that package, that overall package might differ from person to person. That was the the insight I had. It doesn't talent doesn't always look exactly this have the same constitution from one person to the next person, even though that both people can reach the same goal. I mean, you look at like the, the there were some basketball players who are five foot five, like what was it Spud? Some Spud Webb and Sp- I think Bugsy Bogue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm not saying that like that that's possible for everyone who's five five. <laughs> it's highly improbable. But the point is, it's, it was the total package that mattered. I mean, they like they got to the NBA, and they if we just took that one characteristic in isolation of all their other characteristics and tried to predict it, whether they'd be in the NBA, NBA there'd be like a almost a zero percent chance. <laughs> but luckily, you know, we we can use predictive models of potential that take into account the whole person, and that's that's what I'm all about. And and that, so that was what I what I was all about when I was studying greatness, and now that's what I'm still all about when I'm studying self actualization. Yeah, I'd I'd love to hit on the new book and self actualization here in a minute. But uh, if you're assessing yourself, what are those unique talents that have helped you? That's a great question. Personally, I think I've really had a lot of grit, and. I'll admit that. I mean, I I remember when I took myself out of special ed and tried to sign up for all my classes and and challenging classes and and I was curious to see what I was capable of. I really had this kind of this this ferociousness, uh, fire to just soak up as much knowledge as possible, kind of catch up. And that's that's how I view grit. Is this it is this is what my colleague Angel Duckworth refers to it as passion and perseverance for long-term goals but i just like to say fire in the eyes <laughs> more simply <laughs> yeah it's like you know like if you got the fire in the eyes for something you could see what someone has it by the way you can see it you can tell there's a determination there to succeed to to reach a goal and I definitely had that for many years i was maybe not always the healthiest i think that for early on early on it was a it was a passion and perseverance to to prove that i'm smart to people so that doesn't sound as that doesn't sound that healthy but over time it changed and once i had less to f- i felt i had to prove to people the more i felt like i could focus on the things that really mattered and the things that would really bring fulfillment but it did take that early grit to just even show my metal so to speak in order to even get that opportunity to self-actualize. You talk about that fire in the eyes. Did that come about in ninth grade when that yes. teacher asked you? Almost okay. overnight. Almost overnight. Really? Prior to ninth grade, I was... I mean, I had I had grit for other things that were illegal. I... Um, <laughs> I was a like a white collar criminal. I mean, when I was in like fifth grade, <laughs> I was like sixth grade. I was like, you know, doing a, a computer hacking, of video games, and things that uh, that didn't relate to school at all. And I was actually quite good at it. And people would come from all around the world. I was the wizard was my was my handle, 
and people would come to me from all around the world to to uh to get cracked video games like wolfenstein 3d <laughs> who's with me who's with me <laughs> the, the, the the original the original the original 19 1992 uh or so around there um yeah and so i mean i had grit for that but i but but almost overnight i, I put all that away and just put all my grit to from underground to to the real world and uh or what's the opposite of underground overground <laughs> school life not I mean, i'm fascinated yeah. with this that overnight that oh, overnight everything can change i quit my it, bulletin is, board system overnight yeah it, is that i don't i don't want to say common but is, is this what you've seen across a lot of different people yes yes really yes so there, there's not multiple smaller steps or bricks that lead to this it's usually one defining moment it, well <laughs> Okay, so uh, a couple things. Howard Gardner calls it the crystallizing moment. There are moments where we see something and then we see, oh, we see a, a future for ourselves, a vision all of a sudden that we hadn't seen before. And we say, oh, that's me. Or we make an encounter with something like like, a, like Yo-Yo Ma, when, uh, the cellist, when he was young, he would, I think he saw a, a cello and he, he just resonated with it. He's like, oh, I want to play that, mommy, you know, and good thing he pointed that out you know <laughs> and <laughs> good for the world and for himself and so there does there do, at least all these things all these things need development i mean there was it's not like overnight i then became a phd from yale that's not the point it's not right it's just like overnight we can be inspired to such a degree that we have a fundamental shift in our priorities in life and that, that you do see that a lot with 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 people who get uh, who get a purpose in in some degree or another they see a, a reshifting of priorities that that uh, a lot of the things that used to matter to them just don't matter to them anymore don't worry we're going to circle back on the cello there cuz i know you're familiar with it but i i mean you threw in there the phd from yale so i'm assuming there's plenty of people they're they're hearing this conversation and maybe they struggled in school and they're saying how is this possible from 3rd to ninth grade you were in special ed, and then you have one of the more impressive resumes uh, in terms of what you've accomplished. And is it is it about that, just the fire in your eyes and then being able to put in the well, work? Well, I also think that uh, I was intelligent uh, but didn't know it. And and this is something else that I think that is a shame in our society. We were almost People are, like, afraid to admit that they could be intelligent. It's like it's okay to admit you have grit, but... It's you kind of sound like a douchebag if you say that you uh, are intelligent. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't used that phrase douchebag in, in like <laughs> twenty years. <laughs> I don't know. You're activating all my childhood <laughs> schemas. <laughs> is that is that still is that is that a, is that not a politically correct term anymore? I don't know. If are we allowed I to? Use, I don't know what I don't know what's correct anymore. I don't know. Are we allowed to use that? <laughs> um, but um, anyway. I think that's interesting, but I mean, I study uh, intellectual gifted children, intellectually gifted children with learning disabilities. This is a topic that I study. They're called twice exceptional children, and these children are freaking smart, and they may have dyslexia or autism, or they're struggling in all a myriad of sort of other ways. But they're freaking smart, and I think that it's okay to admit 
if you're smart, like it doesn't mean you're better than anyone else as a human being. It's just one characteristic of yourself. Just like having more grit is one characteristic of yourself. But I think that I was high intelligence and didn't and didn't know it for nine grades. I went through nine grades thinking I was the exact opposite, thinking I was really, really dumb. And then I started to sign up for all these classes and I, I went from almost a D student or a medial C D student or remedial classes to like a straight A student in honors classes because I realized and discovered I had such a love of learning that I never knew I had. So I think that had to have been an element of it as well. And I also think creativity, uh, which is also separate from the other characteristics I talked about, is a really important element as well in this equation because I definitely, the, my creativity showed up even very, very young and, and teachers would comment on that, but then they would send me to detention for it. So it wasn't appreciated, but I definitely had that when I was younger. Yeah, I'd love hitting on that duality and your work with the the twice exceptional children. I found really fascinating with that the coexistence there of ability and disability, and it kind of seems that needs to be essential for helping people reach their potential. Could you just hit on slightly uh, about that work and what you discovered there? Yes, there's a field of called twice exceptional of of children or adults or humans, any of us who, on the one hand, have a great disability in some way or difficulty uh, and, it, and it could range from a mental illness I include mental illnesses in that like schizophrenia bipolar general anxiety disorder go down the list of the DSM or a learning difficulty like dyslexia ADHD um, you can have autism in there as well and then but it's it's concomitant in the same package with extraordinary strengths that are are exceptional and and do stand out in in the other direction and it could be a specific talent for something like music or could be a general cognitive capacity to learn things and soak up knowledge it could be your creativity your leadership skills your artistic talent could be lots of things and you see that this in in a single package and that creates opportunities and challenges like that differentiate this person from other people and they're going to probably have lots of uh oppor- lots of uh, lots of need to manage their self-esteem for instance it can be confusing to grow up and to to be told and given messages that you're disabled but then also know that you're capable of lots of other things so it could be it can be a struggle but i i've been it's been a real delight for me to work with these kinds of children do you think that's that's the main thing is that we so often look outward for that validation and we're almost like you were saying a minute ago uh, afraid or ashamed of our certain strengths is is that a big component of this? I think so. I think so. Uh, Maslow Abraham Maslow the psychologist, humanistic psychologist talked about the Jonah effect. A lot of us are scared of our or the Jonah complex, I should say. A lot of we are fair. We're, we fear growth. A lot of us fear growth. We, it's a lot safer actually to not stand out in society. It's a lot safer to just conform to everyone else and just, you know, everyone's got the opinion of the day, and then you can get a lot of likes on Twitter if you just say what you know will get you a lot of likes. You can get a lot of likes if you if you know exactly what to do that to get the likes, <laughs> but I think it takes some more courage to to 
to realize who you really are capable, truly capable of becoming and kind of letting the cards fall where they may. And I think a lot of people are often surprised when they let the cards fall where they may that, that, wow, people like you, <laughs> but like they gravitate towards you even more than before when you were trying to be liked by everyone. I think that that's a, an interesting phenomenon. Yeah, that certainly is a powerful thread when you start acting and, and being your true self, just how you draw people in more. Yeah. And just uh, the, the authentic nature there. I mean, it's, it's, it's very apparent and obvious when you're hanging out with someone enough. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm hoping we start to see that more uh, as opposed to just people looking for likes or, or doing what they think other people want. Uh, but y- you're hitting on a lot of different things that kind of all come together uh, with your new book, Transcend, The New Science of Self-Actualization. And I know you were talking about Maslow a second ago. And I'm always fascinated when someone come out with comes out with a book. Yeah. What led them to, hey, I'm going to sit down for months and I'm going to grind through this. So what was it that you were like, this needs to be a book? And I would love for you just kind of set some background here oh, on what the new book's about. Years, <laughs> years and years and years and years. My apologies. <laughs> uh, oh, my God. Can you write a book in months? Can you? No, Can you? <laughs> no uh, absolutely not. Um, well... I was researching the history of the field of positive psychology when I was teaching at University of Pennsylvania, the course in positive psychology. I was actually teaching Angela Duckworth's course while she was working on her book, Grit, and I loved it, loved teaching it. And and I came across these humanistic psychologists in the 50s and 60s who were a precursor to the field, and I just fell in love with their way of their way of being, so to speak, or the things that they talked about as as important in life. And it was a whole language that I loved, like f- freedom, growth, health, responsibility, spirituality, creativity, humanitarianism. Just I loved all the things they were talking about, the, you know, the paradoxes of human nature, of human existence. And just just was like, I need to bring back humanistic psychology like who's who's bringing it back like we need it, it it's like it's it needs to come these were these are beautiful ideas beautiful uh researchers um and um uh, at least their ideas were beautiful <laughs> and yeah just God, just we need it we need it we need we need this in this day and age and and then it's amazing the world this was this was all like maybe 2000 early 2016 when i started this can you think about how much the world has changed since even i started writing this book I, and just just like we need this now even more than i even realized <laughs> yeah this is certainly the, the the most ideal time uh, I, i'd have to imagine uh so can you even set even just just more of a foundation uh what someone can expect if they if they pick up this book what what are the big themes we're going to hit on here they're going to hit on all those themes i just mentioned they're going to learn how to not only grow to their fullest potential but transcend themselves in the most deeply meaningful way you know reach a level of fulfillment that you can't reach just by reaching your full potential of your talents but the deep fulfillment that you can get from 
having your talents being of great value to the, the whole world and to feel a great connection to the rest of humanity. A lot of it is about increasing your connection to the rest of humans and getting outside yourself by developing yourself, not getting outside yourself by ignoring yourself. And uh, that's, a, that's a big point I was trying to make in the book. Yeah, no, you, you have a great quote in the book I love, and it's, the human condition isn't a competition, it's an experience. Life isn't a trek up a mountain, but a journey to travel through, a vast blue ocean full of new opportunities for meaning and discovery, but also danger and uncertainty. And, and you go on to say that we need a sailboat to navigate this. And I, I'd love if you could hit on the, the sailboat metaphor uh, and just how you've kind of redefined now Maslow's new pyramid, uh, because it, it was pretty eye-opening. And you were talking a few minutes ago just about greatness is, is what you were into a few years ago, and then you, you've realized there's levels above this. And it was, it was fun reading your book and, and getting to kind of pull on some of those new levels. Thank you. I appreciate that. The original hierarchy of needs that Maslow proposed never actually was depicted as a triangle or a pyramid. He never drew a pyramid. That was introductory psychology textbook and mostly management people, uh, management men who actually started off with a stepladder and had like the man with the flag at the top of of the stepladder. And that was not Maslow's spirit of, of, of it. He always made clear that human development was a two-step forward, one-step back dynamic, and that we're always targeting multiple needs at once. And also that self-actualization is not something that we achieve, like climbing a mountain and we get to the top and we say, yay, and we take the picture. I mean, do you know anyone who's reached self-actualization and they're done? I can't think of anyone. No, no absolutely not. You know, and, and And then how boring would life be then anyway? If uh, after that moment of self-actualization and you're like, I'm done, it's like, well, I don't know. Um, I guess one could argue that then you could just focus on transcendence, which we, we can get to in a second. But I would argue that, and I think Maslow was trying to was trying to really make the case towards the end of his life, that full self-actualization requires transcendence. So we're not maximizing our full potential until we ultimately are helping to maximize the full potential of others. And I think this was a, a big point that he was trying to make. So I, I think the sailboat metaphor makes a lot more sense and in the line with the spirit of what Mazo was trying to get at because we're all in this boat together, right now in the same boat. We're all in our own boats. We're on the same ocean together, the ocean, the unknown of the sea. We don't know when the waves are going to come. And the best we can do is secure our boat. And once our boat is secure, we can open our sail. And that's the growth part. The sail is growth and uh, uh, and allows us to, to move and have direction, even, even, though, even though there's going to be unknowns. You know, sometimes you just have to move uh, with the unknown. And, and uh, I, think, I think the sailboat works as a better metaphor. What do you think? No, I, I absolutely agree. Uh, one one question I have though well, that would have been is, awkward. Yeah, if, if you didn't <laughs> interview interview ends here. Yeah, no. no. But uh, it, it's one thing to be able to read this on paper, and yes, you're you're gonna have navigate tough water. You're gonna have setbacks, but it's much harder to deal with that in real life. 
is there anything that you've seen to help yourself navigate when, when we have those serious setbacks? I'm even just thinking about a time right now. Uh, I've talked to a lot of people this week, and they're, they're kind of in panic mode about the market, about job security. And, and how do we, we put all of this into perspective as we're on this long journey? Well, I think you kind of answered the question in, in your question because it's so much of it is putting things it's constantly putting things in perspective and and not catastrophizing i mean you can go through the list of cognitive distortions like anyone can do this just google what are the cognitive distortions i mean if you will turn on the news everyone's going down the the checklist of of, (laughs) like even even cuomo you know on cnn he's freaking the fuck out (laughs) and i'm like cuomo calm down dude (laughs) i mean you don't want to get cuomo you don't want to get cuomo mad at you so i hope he doesn't listen to this podcast but um but just like what i mean by calm down i don't mean like don't take it seriously or don't be realistic about the numbers and, and do the best you can do. But it also means, in terms of putting in perspective, it also means that you need to still be on lookout for opportunities for joy and gratitude in your daily life because they're still there. This, this virus has not stripped away our opportunity, the same opportunities we had before for, for gratitude practice, for loving kindness meditations, for, for, appreciating beauty um for doing good in the world uh, uh, trying to help others all these potentialities still exist the virus has not taken that away from us and i think we need to just put into perspective not only put in perspective but we need a good balance of the boat which is security and, and the sail which is growth and we're focusing almost entirely on the boat right now no, that's such a great point, and finding those moments of joy. I'm, I'm even thinking about yesterday. I mean, obviously, chaos going on in the world, but then uh, my, my wife and I and then our young son, we went for just a bike ride yesterday afternoon. We live in, in South Florida, so it is oh. sunny and warm, and luckily we have our health, but it was just this perfect, perfect, peaceful moment, even with, with everything else that was going on. And it's like when you can find those moments— it helps you stay, stay and course correct while you're on that boat. I, I know I've been bringing up a lot of, about chaos and stuff. Let's hit on those ecstatic moments, though, of, of those peak experiences. And I, I know you write about this, and I would love for you just to kind of hit on those for a little bit here. And I'm also interested, do you have the, these ecstatic moments of peak experience? I do. And also I have what Matt's referred to as, the, as moments of plateau experiences, he described it as you're kind of lounging in heaven, not getting so excited about it. <laughs> and and I, th- I kind of like plateau experiences even better than peak experiences because, I mean, I, I had a tendency, I think I have a tendency my whole life for hypomania, which is um, not a mental disorder. It's a personality trait that all of us vary on. But I can, you know, have this tendency to get very ecstatic about things. But then there tends to be kind of a letdown after that at some point. I think it's better to kind of have this plateau where you have a lot of wonder and awe in your daily life and and you just have it more, it's more mild, but it is pervasive on a more steady basis. I think that's a much, 
a much more fulfilling way to live one's life. But I, but I do have peak experiences, uh, less than I used to because I don't try not to drink as much coffee as well as I used to. That was also would be a big trigger. <laughs> I would have too many peak experiences and it was awkward. <laughs> Because when you're with some, when you're with someone who's not having a peak experience and you're having a peak experience, it's like they think you're weird. But um, as I got, you know, now now I try to just cultivate these plateau experiences where I really, yeah, I really try to see the beauty in in everything. And you know that when the peaks come, they come, and they can come from things as 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 sim- the simplest things now you know they don't always have to come from like a great gym session uh of of like pushing myself beyond human repair <laughs> they can also come from from just sitting on a beach with a with a friend so why do you think you're able to to cultivate those more frequently or or with more ease it sounds like besides reducing my intake of caffeine Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, I practice uh, practice meditation and practice the fine art of attention. And 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 also detaching myself from my attention. I think that's a really important thing that people it's a skill that people can work on for sure just just like in the gym you can lift weights you can you can work on this part of your brain as well you decouple yourself from your attention your attentional field so that you're seeing things as though they're for the first time and you're also seeing things not for the the use the use of of uh, what you can use for it for your own self but you see things for as they really truly are and you just admire them for what they are not 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 for their relevance to you and that includes people so if if you're someone who's never worked on their attention before th- that's the easiest way to get into that just admiring things for what they are oh boy if you've never worked on attention ever in your life you might want to start well, something I, else. I think there's a lot of people who probably haven't really put much effort towards it. Really? I I believe that. Yeah. Huh. Well, I, I that's not something I'm excited about either. Yeah. It can be kind of an eye-opening thing for those who haven't worked on it whatsoever in their lives. Even the smallest step, they can maybe just do like one of these apps, like Calm the Calm app or something, uh, and they're like, wow, like I could, I can have this quality of attention, this quality of mind, but, but some of it is just, just the practice of just being present in your relationships and your conversations and whatever you're doing and practicing that presence. It doesn't always have to be through the, the meditation aspect of it. Some people hate meditation. It's not for everyone. I will say, you know, there there are meditation, you know, zealots or whatever, for lack of a better term, who will will kind of will say, well, you just haven't given it a chance. You know, you, you need to keep doing it, and it's hard. And I think there's a, grain, a great grain of truth to what they're saying, but there are some people that 
that the, the, the meditation practice is not going to be the best path for them to cultivate mindfulness. There's other ways to cultivate mindfulness than sitting on a cushion and just focusing on your breath. But that is it, it. But for most people, that that seems to be a very helpful method. One of, one of the other processes I would love to hear about from you is your creative process. So I, I know you've done a lot of work researching creative processes, and then you also are someone who's incredibly creative themselves. So what's your creative process look like when, you, when you're trying to spark those creative juices? What does that look like for you? Oh, boy. Well, the creative process for me is a matter of being open to new experiences constantly and kind of having a beginner's mind on things, having a sense of wonder for ideas, a sense of curiosity for ideas, and also love for people that I probably, sh- like, I've been, I've been told I shouldn't love. Like, you know, there's, I'm on Twitter, I'm on, I'm talking to people all the time, I'm talking to Trump supporters, I'm talking to these, this person, that person, you know, they're, that, like, there are people, like, if, if you're a Democrat and you have Democratic friends, they're like, don't talk to that person, they're a Trump supporter. It's like, why can't I talk to that person? <laughs> like, why, they're, they're, but they're not human anymore? <laughs> what the fuck? You know, or like, and there's all sorts of different things where if you believe in this idea in psychology, psychologists can get petty sometimes. I'm not going to lie. You're like, oh, they like, they believe in uh, ego depletion theory. You shouldn't talk to them. It's like, no, I'm going to talk to them. I'm going to talk to them. I'm going to just, I'm going to talk to them about ego depletion theory. <laughs> Whatever. I, I, I don't know if that's a specific example. I just threw something out there. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think that just having, culti- you know, creativity comes from connecting the dots. And I love just actively going toward the seemingly inconnectable dots and then trying to connect them. And it's just, it's fun to me. I, I get like a cheap thrill out of it. Yeah. You and I are the same way there with, with going after those dots that seem unconnectable. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost funny. Just doing a lot of research into you and you mentioned the cello earlier and I know it's something you played. And then I know you've tried out for American Idol I mean, here you are, a, a writer, a teacher. You do so much. Do you think all of those experiences really help you find some of these new paths you're going down? Yeah, I do. I, I think all these things. I, I'd, I'd like to sign up for more things that are that are, that are disparate or, or different. And as soon as this virus settles down and we can roll out and leave our house again, I'd, I'd love to to to. to, to do these things i love subcultures i love being friends with people who don't like each other (laughs) (laughs) i love that i love uh when i was in high school i was friends with all these different cliques of people that never even talked to each other and 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 yet i was friends with all them and people are people you know goths are people too remember being friends with goths and realizing, wow, I have the same fears they have. Like, I feel them. <laughs> I feel like I, I could easily go down the path of being a goth, but I didn't go down that path, but I could. <laughs> you know, the more you talk to people, the more you realize you can go, d- you could go down their path. There's really, you're really not that different. We're all really not that different from each other. Is that fair? 
no, I think that's more than fair, especially the time we live in. I mean, you were bringing up a few minutes ago about how how polarized everyone is, and it's, it's unfortunate because at the end of the day, we're all humans, and when you when you open up to new perspectives and new ideas you get to hear some really interesting things that might change your perspective. And then you also get to connect with people you thought unimaginable. And so it's a really fresh perspective. And I'm, I'm just glad you brought this to light here. Thank you. I appreciate you listening to me. Yeah, no, you're, you're, you're fun to listen to. But one <laughs> thing I, I, I also am really curious about, so we, we brought up writing and you were like, years, years. So what's your actual process like? Because I, I know you, you write a lot of articles and then I'm just wondering what, when, you're, when you get the idea that I'm going to put out a book, what does that process look like for you? Sorry if, this, if you think this is a mundane thing. I, I'm really interested in it though. Oh, no, it's a great question. I mean, it's something that, a lot, that I, I want to know the answer to as well. <laughs> because <laughs> i'm a bit uh non-method methodical 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 that's the word i'm looking for yeah i mean because i i work on inspiration i don't really work on a schedule so i'll i'll be like deeply immersed in this chapter and i'll just learn everything i possibly can about this chapter and just to exclusion of everything else in my life, I'll be like obsessed with it for like weeks and then I'll write the chapter and then I'm done I move on to the next chapter. And then that's my life. I get, I think it's a deep absorption or what uh, some people refer to as you know, Cal Newport has referred to as deep work is, is good. And, but also inspiration. Like I don't, if I'm not feeling a particular chapter and I want to, I'm feeling maybe, another project that day i'll work on the other project i mean i guess i have quite a good luxury to be able to do that because i don't have a nine to five paid job yeah you and i work in similar fashions here which makes me more intrigued intrigued by this and so i always try to figure out that blend between inspiration serendipity but then actual actually having a routine and I feel like I'm always nervous when I'm not feeling inspired mm. that potentially if I just sat there and worked on those ideas a little bit longer, that true inspiration might come. Mm. So how do you handle that? How do I handle it when the inspiration's not coming? Is that the question? Correct. Yep. Well, it's okay. I, I'll sleep all day. It's okay. Why well, inspiration doesn't hit, strike every day? It's not actually something that that happens. It's actually you need to build into the process that you'll have lulls and moments where it doesn't, because your subconscious needs time to work on things sometimes, and these things are cyclical. Anyone who's inspired every single day of their lives tends to have manic things that probably aren't they're not enjoying their lives so no i do think that we need to we i don't see it as a problem actually i see it as as part as a required part of the whole creative process and i usually my my greatest sources of inspiration usually follow my darkest days (laughs) to be dramatic (laughs) about it 
No, no, no. It's so funny. So, so I asked the question, I mean, hoping that you have some unbelievable answer that I can tap into, but, but you're so right. Sometimes that subconscious just, just needs some, some room, some free space, yeah. whether that be just going a, a long walk in nature, or a shower where, where those ideas can ruminate. <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm glad that you provided that little refresher there. Uh, I, I know we've got to wrap up here in a minute. I just have a few kind of quick hit questions for you. I would love to, to hear your thoughts on. Sure. So if you're on the other end of the microphone, and I know you host a, a fantastic podcast I enjoy listening to, but if you could just sit down with anyone, uh, dead or alive, who would you be sitting down with and uh, what would you want to ask them? Well, the, the winner is Abraham Maslow because <laughs> I just spent an entire five years of my life uh, studying him and researching his life. But it's an interesting question. What would I want to ask him? Because I feel like I've, I plumbed the depths of, of his existence so much that I, I learned all the answers through his <laughs> private journals and everything. But maybe I would want to ask him whether he, he was happy in his life. Huh. Like, did, did, did he feel fulfilled? And when, at what points in his life did he feel, did he feel most fulfilled? Yeah, when I when I wrote this question down, I was wondering if you were going to respond with Maslow or not because of the the, the depth you went yeah. into research. So if it wasn't going to be him, who else would it be? I mean, I'd love to sit down with the Dalai Lama and have a like like a real conversation with him. Like, like, come on, bro. Like let's let's like cut 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 the bullshit. Like let's 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 be for reals, and and be like you know what what pisses you off, man? You know what what because the thing is there there is no he he's he is he is quite enlightened and self actualized and and for sure and uh, you know no dis no disrespect whatsoever <laughs> to the Dalai Lama, but I he's human too, and I'm always interested in seeing what the what 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 and how an integrated human handles the inevitable anger and frustrations and things and he seems to handle it very well i want to know how you know what what do you do when you feel that way cuz you know you must you must feel that way sometimes yeah, that would be a fun conversation yeah. to sit on, sit in on. Scott, you crack me up. You're a funny guy. Uh, One thing, I know you're interested in a lot of different things, and you talk to some unbelievable people uh, on the Psychology Podcast, but what about something that's kind of outside your field of expertise that you're just really fascinated with? Oh, I, I'm actually really fascinated with physics and time travel. <laughs> I don't. I don't admit that too much, but I. I, I really. I really geeked out a lot on that. And, and growing up, I used to write lots of stories of time travel. And I actually wrote a. Uh, actually, got a, pr a pretty good grade in a college physics class where I came up with plans for a time machine. <laughs> really? Yes. Yes. Do you do you, Do you ever post any of that stuff? No. This is this is just secret secret stuff. <laughs> That All right, we'll, let, we'll, we'll let the secrets remain secrets. Okay. Uh, I know you're, you're inqu incredibly well-read. Uh, Any books that you've gone back to over the years? Oh, so many books. Um, I, I really, like The Art of Loving, Eric Fromm. Start there. We need more of that in the world right now. Or Toward a Psychology of Being by Abraham Maslow. Or Love and Will by Roel May. 
uh, or The Sane Society by Eric Fromm as well. That's another Eric Fromm book. Yeah. Great four books that have, have never been mentioned, so I know everyone's going to enjoy this. Great. So, Scott, this has been too much fun for me. Uh, I, I meant that. I, I really enjoyed reading the book. I uh, just got it, and it was fun exploring some of these ideas and been a fan of your work and your writing. So where do you want the listener staying connected with you? Uh, I know the book comes out April 7th. It's Transcend, the New Science of Self-Actualization. Anywhere else you want them uh, exploring and just staying connected with you, though? I appreciate that. Well, I, they might want to check out the Psychology Podcast. We release episodes on Thursdays. Um, might your, your audience might also... Uh, you know, might be some good overlap there in, in interests. And scottberrykaufman.com is you can pretty much uh, follow a lot of my stuff on scottberrykaufman.com. I guess I should also say I'm also very active on Twitter <laughs> if anyone wants to <laughs> just see my half-baked ramblings that <laughs> on Twitter. Yeah, that that's a good place to always see someone's half-baked ramblings. Awesome. Well, I'm going to have all that linked up in the show notes. But Scott, thanks so much for joining us on What Got You There. Thank you. I had a great time. You guys made it to the end of another episode of What Got You There. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I really do appreciate you taking the time to listen all the way through. If you found value in this, the best way you can support the show is giving us a review, rating it, sharing it with your friends, and also sharing on social. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Looking forward to you guys listening to another episode.